uh, as we kind of continue on with service, we're going to sing for a little bit. I'm going to teach. We're going to wrap up in worship. So that's kind of what you're looking forward to if you're here in the house or watching online. Uh, I do want to let you know about our volunteer rally. We have some amazing superheroes around here from anyone who's doing the cameras to people who are working in our e-kids, working our connection team, so many things uh, that you can serve around here. And we are doing a volunteer rally next Saturday. So the two types of people that could come to that, one is you're a volunteer. You serve in one of our teams. Maybe the second person is you've been around here for a few weeks and you're interested in maybe serving on a team, then you are invited to be a part of that volunteer rally. You'll find all the information on our app, which you can get from the app store if you don't have it, download it for free. We go with you, we travel light, and it'll give you all that info. And so next Saturday from five to seven right here, here in the gymnasium, we'll be doing that volunteer rally. We invite you for that, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. So we pray for a church of the week, because uh, it's not just about Element City Church. We believe in the Capital C Church all around the city. And so this week, we are praying for Vail Christian Church and Pastor Ben, who's out there. I've known Ben a long time, and we are grateful to lift up his church. And so if you're here in the house, would you stand up with me? If you're at your house... Do what you want. Um, but we'd love to invite you to stand up with us. We'll pray for uh, the Church of the Week and for our service now, and we'll dive into worship in just a second. So, Father, we gather tonight as your church. We gather as your people, whether this is our first Sunday or whether this is our 101st Sunday. We gather as family. We gather to center our attention and our heart in your direction. We pray for each one who might be searching to investigate spiritual things, those uh, of us who may be walking with Jesus for a lot of years. I pray that tonight would be something fresh for each one of us. I pray that your spirit would be loosed in a way that would move in our hearts as we worship you and as we sing these songs and we think about what they mean and how we adore you. Uh, we ask that you would be in this presence. And we pray for Vail Christian Church and Pastor Ben and their team out there in, in Vail. God, we ask for your blessing upon them. Would you continue to put uh, your provision for them, the resources, their leadership? Would you continue to give them uh, the capacity to reach those around us, just as we're asking that you would use us and that you would leverage us as a people to reach folks that haven't known quite yet that Jesus loves them and that he knows them and he longs to be in relationship with them. And so that's why the, we sing these worship songs to you is because we love you and you love us and we're in a relationship together. And so we pray that this next hour or so would be a, one that blesses us as it blesses you as well. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, let's put those hands together. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He pardoned. He parted the raging sea. My God still holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout.
my greatest miracle Why should my heart grow weary? Don't be so downcast, oh my soul
never faithful, never changing through the ages. From this darkness, you will lead us, and forever we will sing, you're the Lord our God, and forever we will sing, you're the declare that you are you are holy yes joy give it to you god would our lives be a testament of our of our love for you god we declare that every day we get up that you are the lord our god that you save us from darkness god you are the great reconciler father God, we ask that you would move during this time. We praise you. We exalt you, God. We thank you for who you are. God, we pray for Jack that you would speak clearly through him. We pray for our hearts that we would be willing to receive your word and what you have in store for us, God. God, move in power. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. Thank you. It's good to worship together. Online or here, just to set aside some time each Sunday night to kind of focus our hearts on God. And so whether this is your first Sunday here with us or first Sunday tuning in, uh, I know it takes courage coming to a new place or kind of tuning in to a new place. And so thanks for taking a chance with us. And we hope that tonight you would sense in worship and you would sense as we look into God's word uh, that the scriptures are alive with the reality that God knows you and that he loves you. And for each one of us that there's continual next steps of faith for us to take. And tonight we're going to continue on in our series called The Rooted Life, and it really is, we started this last week, and we looked at this idea of kind of the, a, a cadence of contemplation in life. How do we want to live more and more like Jesus? And so sometimes it actually, it, it takes practical sense for us to actually put some practices and habits into place that actually reroute us to maybe try to live that way. And so like even the challenge, like I'll admit my own, uh, like Social media is a big deal, and like I gave it up for this last week, but I still found myself like in the morning, like grabbing my phone and looking for it, and I even set timers on it to like go off after five minutes. And but anyone else like me that just like randomly it, it's there, and you're like even if you try to stop, and and so there is some practices we can put in place. And so if you missed last week, I invite you to go back to that. If you have your app, you can actually open it up, go down to sermon notes, and follow along with today. Because today we're looking at a subject matter that I think is a challenge for each one of us. Uh, how many of you like to win arguments? 
Okay, anyone like to lose arguments? So, so no one raises their hands to that. Yeah, okay, you're, you want your wife to win. Okay, whatever. Uh, but the reality is no one likes to lose in those scenarios. No one likes to have that. Uh, in 2014, keep this in mind, 2014, Slate Magazine released a series of essays called The Year of Outrage described with multiple articles from righteous fury to kind of faux indignation, everything that people got mad about. Here's a list of some of the essay titles that they had. The Outrage Project, the life cycle of outrage, what outrage actually means, identity outrage, the cultural outrage audit, the year in liberal outrage, the year in conservative outrage. My viral outrage hit righteous outrage and how outrage changed my life. This is in 2014. Do you think we've gotten worse? (laughs) Hello, yeah. Um, Like, it seems like the culture has even gone more toward outrage. The outrage and divisiveness have seemed to only escalate since the backdrop of kind of our cancel culture. And it seems like there's many things that people get upset about and things that we don't like to talk about or the current of culture and the moment outrage has become more expected than surprising, more normative than odd, more encouraged than discouraged, and maybe even more rewarded than rejected. And we see it all around us in small ways, like if you've ever been at a fast food restaurant and someone is just taking it out on the clerk And have you ever stopped to actually think, I bet this person didn't need that. I don't think they're working here in order to take that. You ever seen that in an airport? You ever seen that in in just life around you in the office? It seems people are more and more on edge. And if I'm honest, at times I am too. And I bet if you were honest, if it was just you and I sitting and having coffee, I bet you'd talk about times that maybe you have felt that. Uh, And and it could be a host of reasons that pours into that, but the reality is we have a tendency to be on edge and and divisiveness and and dismissiveness seem to be around us. And and yet, uh, Scott Sauls is a pastor, wrote a book called The Gentle Answer. He, He says this, Jesus is the God of reconciliation and peace, not a God of hate or division or us against them. He is the God of the gentle answer. And I wonder if in our culture and in our season and in our time, we might be better off if we practiced the gentle answer more and more. And so tonight, I want us to kind of wrestle with one of these practices. If contemplative cadence matters in our life and the busyness of life can pull us to places that distract us away from really connecting with Jesus I think divisiveness and dismissiveness of people where we just label and we cancel and we rule out and we check off has a way of taking us away from the actual way of Jesus, which is actually reconciliation and and a, a relational interchange where we can relate and interact and be with one another. And so I, I wanna suggest that rhythms of reconciliation within a divisive and divided world is what the church, it's what I, and I think it's what you need more of. Because if we don't, then we get 
we get carried away in the, in the cancel culture and in, in the current of that in our society. And if we don't do some things that push back against that, then we just get carried along. And, and pretty soon we're a part of society and a part of culture, but we're not actually living the way of Jesus. And so much of who Jesus is and what he has done for you if you're a person of faith, for me as a person of faith, is grounded and anchored and how he has reconciled us to the Father. And if we don't live that out, then we are incongruent, and we're divided, and we're split from who we're actually been recreated to be. And so this is a challenge for us, and so I want us to kind of go into this idea that, you know, the reality is divisions happen in relationships. Why? Because you have one relationship with a broken person and another relationship with a broken person being in relationship. And so division will happen. It's not if it will happen, it's when it will happen. And if we don't have a rhythm of trying to reconcile things, then, then the divisiveness, the split, the fractures just continue to get wider and wider. It certainly can't be that we, are, we don't have to be best friends with everyone, but we can't be bitter and divisive and dismissing of everyone. And so there comes this challenge and this tension that you will have to manage. It's probably not a problem you're going to solve, but it's a tension you'll have to manage as you go through your relational life with people, whether it's acquaintances or coworkers or spouses or kids or whatever it may be. Every relationship will find division happen, and so we have to work toward reconciliation with that. Relational division will occur, but do we seek to reconcile it? Listen, if we're honest, racial divisiveness is all around us. So do we seek to heal it? Because that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. The scriptures call over and over for us to be one, to be unified, to be united, thanks to Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks repeatedly about being reconciled and protecting the unity of the church because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, George Eldon Ladd uh, has this quote, the gospel must not only offer personal salvation in the future life for those who believe, it must also transform all of relationships of life here and now, and thus cause the kingdom of God to prevail more and more into this world. It's what Jesus prayed for. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May it be more and more evident here, or at least in my sphere of influence, than maybe it was last year. See, at the core of the gospel, it is about a making right of relationships. That's what Jesus' goal was. The death and resurrection of Jesus set the world on a trajectory of renewal. God graciously invites us to be reconciled with the Holy Father, to not be separated or alienated anymore from him, and thus to then allow that to begin to flow through into our relationships. That as the body of Christ, we would begin to kind of reciprocate that and, and to put that on display more and more in our relationships. But it's tough in our culture. The Fast Company Magazine article uh, wrote an article uh, kind of termed the filter bubble, describing the algorithm in Facebook and many other sites that creates an echo chamber for people to see only the content that they would like mostly agree with. And the filter bubble is a good image for what's happening in our time. We so often surround ourselves with ideas and interests and political thoughts and ideologies that reinforce what we already believe. And what do we see? 
a growing, brazen demonization of other people who don't agree. And we begin to write them off and, and cancel them around. And that's how culture works unless you begin to push back in a different direction. Unless you actually take the message of Jesus seriously and begin to push back against it. See, the church is meant to be different. And that doesn't mean we agree on everything. That doesn't mean we disagree about everything. But it's meant to be different in how it plays out. We're a new family forged around Jesus, not based on ethnicity or gender identity, but we are forged through the death and resurrection of Jesus and our identity to that, that we are now a new creation in him. And therefore, that begins to filter and to force us and to forge us to be something different. The apostles Paul uh, challenges us in this in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what he says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then he rattles off some things. Listen to this. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And father of us all who over all and through all and in all. Seven times he highlights the oneness of God's work that knits us together, despite our diversity and our differences. The who that unites us is stronger than anything that can separate us. Do you believe that? And if so, do you live that out? Because the reality is, reconciliation is hard. Resolving tensions in relationship is not for the faint of heart. So often it's easier for us to just dismiss it and go, well, I don't want to deal with it, than to actually face it and begin to bring resolution and reconciliation to it. Because in our brokenness of our humanity, we have limitations, don't we? We all do. And if we're not careful, then we just live out of those limitations or past them instead of the hard work of actually choosing to be reconciled. See, reconciliation is costly, but it's worth your investment. Reconciliation is messy, but it's a mandate from Jesus. See, think about it. In the calling of the disciples, if you were to study the life of the disciples, the original 12 that Jesus pulled around him, you would find that these people, <laughs> Jesus put together who would most certainly not have followed one another on Twitter or attended the same seminars or shared the same political passions or had the same hobbies or even shopped at the same stores. They were radically different. And yet Jesus chose them and said, we are now going to put on display the unity and the reconciliation that I'm here to bring. We're actually going to practice it. And will it be messy? Yep. Will it be challenging? Yep. But we are going to do it because I'm going to show you the way. And at the very end, we see, obviously, Jesus going to the cross, giving up his life, his death, and then ultimately his resurrection to prove that his way is the most powerful way. But even before the cross, what does he do? The very last thing. They had just argued about who of them is the greatest. That's what they were arguing about as they made their way to Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do? The master, the leader, the rabbi of the group, he takes a towel and he washes their feet one by one 
by one. And he says, now, as I have done this to you, you are to do this to one another. You have a zealot. You have fishermen. You have people from all walks of life who would not normally be buddy-buddy and hang out. And Jesus is saying, we're forging a new family of God that will push back against the norms of what goes on. And you must have a rhythm of reconciliation to be a part of what we are creating here. Because I'm gonna do that for you. And now you are to do that for one another and to walk that out. Dr. Brenda Salter uh, captures kind of the multifaceted nature of biblical reconciliation. Here's what she says. Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems reflect God's original intention of creation that people would flourish. It's looking into each scenario and saying, how can I help people flourish here? Maybe one of the most famous passages about reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're, we're representing him wherever we go. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, there five times he talks about reconciliation in some foreign shape or, or fashion here. He unlocks the passion. Here's the reality. That as humans, the Bible describes us in our humanity as broken people. We are sinners by nature and sinners by conduct. We are alienated from a holy and perfect God. And yet God took the initiative to say, I will make a way that you can be reconciled to me. I'll make a way. I'm sending my son. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, you now have the opportunity to be reconciled to God. That's what a person of faith, a Christian, is called. It's someone who has said, I'm not trying to earn God's approval. I'm putting my trust in what Jesus has already done in his life and his death and his resurrection that's now paved a way. It's made a way. It's a highway that I can now have a right relationship with God, not based on what I do, but based on what he did. Jesus has reconciled me to the Father. And now, as a child of God, brought into God's family, what else am I supposed to do than just be like the Father? See, if I don't live out a rhythm of reconciliation, if you don't choose to live out a rhythm of reconciliation in your life, then we are not being who we have been created or recreated or even called to be. We're missing the mark. And so it is this challenge to say this term reconciliation is a big deal. That we have to be, we're delivers of that message. We're the champions of that message. We are the ambassadors of that message. Like Paul could not be more clear that reconciliation matters. And how do you get reconciliation? Through forgiveness. 
That's how it works. You have to be in the act of forgiving in order to find reconciliation that goes. The only way that God accomplished that is through his son. God's forgiveness superseded the sin of humanity. His forgiveness is bigger. And so it's in that that we are now restored in a relationship with him. The only way that can happen is what John the Baptist said. Remember, as he pointed to Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who reconciles us. And now, as Paul is saying to the church in Corinth and to our church today and to the church globally, you are now ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God, but now let reconciliation flow into your relationships. The Son has sent us. We are to practice and have rhythms of reconciliation within our relationships, parent to child, brother and sister to brother and sister, neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker, friend to friend, the best we possibly can. Here's the side note I want to give us in this. Because the reality is reconciliation takes two, doesn't it? It can't just be one person who reconciles on behalf of another because the tension or the friction or the hurt or the pain is there. And so reconciliation is one that takes two in that partnership. And we can do our best to reconcile and to forgive, and that is what we're called to do. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 18. He says, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all you can. Meaning you can't make it happen, but you need to do your part. And so you do your part. If the other person reciprocates that, then you can have reconciliation. It's okay to forgive and to permanently close a chapter on a relationship. That's not evil. And that's not wrong. For some of you, you might have issues or tensions in relationships with people that you care deeply about, and yet the friction and the fracturing of things have gotten to the place where you may can do your part, but the other part of that party doesn't want to participate, well, you can't do anything about that. As my mama always told me, you can only do you. And so you have to do your part. But if it's not there, then it's okay to forgive. That's what you can do. And it means the relationship can go dormant. It doesn't have to be. We are not called to be best friends with all people. You do know that, right? We are called to love all people. And that's on you to control that. And that's not determined on someone else's response or lack of response. It's your job to love. That's what Jesus said. Your job is to love all people. That doesn't mean you have to be best friends with all people. We can exercise love without having a deeply formed or overly active friendship or relationship. We may not have to be friends with everyone, but we may not carry grudges or bitterness with anyone. And so this is the challenge. Will you be a person that builds rhythms of reconciliation into your life? Because we see it modeled in Jesus. We see it coming from God the Father to you, and he wants it to go through you and through me. And so will we do our part to cooperate with that? So how do you foster 
that rhythm of reconciliation in your life. I want to give you four ways that I think, if you were to begin to practice these things, it will help you. It's helped me. It will help you work toward reconciliation in relationships the best you can, to, as best as it's possible to live at peace with everyone, as Paul would say. Remind yourself constantly is the first one. We are to seek reconciliation and forgiveness because we have received reconciliation and forgiveness. We are recipients, and therefore we now get to be participants. Don't ever forget that. See, the longer you're a follower of Christ, it becomes easier to forget how much Jesus had to do to reconcile you to the Father. Because the longer you're a Christian, you, you just think, well, I live this way, so therefore I'm pretty good. And the reality is, no, you were dead in your, your life without Jesus. That's how the gospel describes it. It's not that you were kind of bad, sort of bad. You were dead in your own life. And Jesus made you alive. That's different than just being, oh, well, you know, I wasn't not, bad, not as bad as that person over there. No, no, no. You were dead. Now you're alive in faith. God is, Jesus has reconciled you to the Father. Now you are to be a participant. We saw this in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old is past, the new is here. Now all things are a God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us, you, me, the ministry of reconciliation. It's part of our role as a follower of Jesus is to lead out in rhythms of reconciliation with the people around us, that they might sense that. Many of us, may you never grow old in feeling the gratitude of Jesus laying down his life for you, friend, and for me. And if you're here on a spiritual journey, may you come to know that Jesus loved you enough that he laid down his life as a sacrifice for you. And he took it up again in the resurrection to prove that he could do it and he had the power to do it and that his forgiveness is the real deal. And it's big enough for you. The apostle John says this, 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. He doesn't mince words here. For whoever does not love his brother or sister whom they can see cannot love God whom they cannot see. And so this ministry of reconciliation, this rhythm of reconciliation is meant to flow into our relationships. And so never forget how much you have been reconciled. And now let that begin to flow and, and dictate how you seek to reconcile the best you can in the relationships that you have around you. Uh, second, have a habit of listening deeply to people. Uh, don't listen to gather the information that you need in order to dismiss or to make a judgment call, but actually listen to understand their vantage point, their viewpoint. Uh, many people talk about this as empathetic listening. If you were on the marriage retreat, we talked about this as how we can do this with spouses. So let me quickly review for those and kind of psych us in if you weren't a part of that. The four keys to empathetic listening is that you begin to uh, have a genuine attitude of I want to understand the other person. I don't want to just know information. I actually want to understand them. Psychologist Paul Turner says this, that each one of us speaks primarily in order to set forth his or her own ideas. 
exceedingly few exchange viewpoints that manifest a real desire to understand the person. The truth is, we're all mostly egocentric. Here's my opinion. Here's why I'm saying this. I don't care what you think. I want you to know what I know and what I'm saying, and now you just listen and do it. That's how most of us approach conversations most of the time. It takes intentionality to go, you know what, I want to understand, not just hear what you have to say, but understand why you're saying it and understand the why and the how behind it. Because in, by nature, I'm mostly egocentric, if I'm honest. And so I want to withhold judgment, secondly, about your opinion or about your thoughts. I want, I want to withhold judgment. I don't want to just be divisive or just dismissive right away. How many of you, <laughs> if we're honest, how many of you, don't raise your hand, just answer in your own head, would say, in the midst of a conversation with a coworker, a friend, a spouse, a, a, a child, whatever, that 15 seconds into the conversation, you've already made your mind up, right? The reality is that's probably the norm for most of us. 15 to 30 seconds into the conversation, we've already determined if they're wrong or they need corrected or they don't see it correctly and I see it correctly and I'm gonna now tell you how you should see it, right? Most of our conversations kind of go that way and that's not because we're not seeking to understand, we're just seeking to get enough information so we can make a judgment call. And so it is a challenge to say I'm gonna withhold judgment because I wanna to seek to understand, because I might have the vantage point of here's why I believe this. Do you know the other person who says here's why I believe it? They think they're right just like you think you're right. What? How can people not see it my way? Well, because they see it differently sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so if we just listen to try to set them right, then we're not really listening to understand. We're just listening to gather enough information so that I can lob my ammo back to tell you why you're wrong and why I'm right and why you need to change your mind. So you need to listen to understand that's empathetic listening. You affirm the other person in what they've shared. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you're affirming the fact that they shared it. Hey, I appreciate you sharing that. It lets me get to know, and I think I heard you say this. I don't agree with that but at least I'm trying to understand more of where you're coming from. And so you seek to do that. Maybe the capstone of empathetic listening is that you now only share your opinion when that person feels understood. And when they feel understood, they will be happy to listen because they feel understood and heard. And so we must develop the habit of listening deeply. Do you know how much time that takes? more than you give it normally and more than I give it normally. You can ask my wife. She will tell you this. I have a tendency at times because I like to fix things and I like to help people that in the long story sometimes I will do this. As a husband, let me just give you, like if you're dating here, uh, let me just give you a heads up. That is never good. It has never once in 26 years helped anything. In fact, it's damaged a lot of things. And I have to own it and apologize. Because in my mind, I've already got the answer. But I'm not listening to actually understand. 
in an our day and age of sound bites and quick sayings and I'll shoot you a text, we are not very good at listening deeply. You want to know how we can help solve some of the racial tensions that still exist in our land? We need to listen deeply. One of my favorite things that I've gotten to do over the last five years or so is just to sit with my African-American brothers and sisters and just listen. Because I don't know. And I'm an idiot to think I do. Because I don't know. But I want to know. I want to understand more. Because when I can understand more, and, and people can understand more from where I'm at, then we can begin to make progress. We can begin to reconcile a little bit more than if we just sit and spout our opinions. And we never seek to understand. We just seek to shout our opinion. And, and we've done that a long time as a, as a people. And I don't think it's helped us as much as we think. And so listen deeply. One research project uh, indicates that the average person listens for 17 seconds before interrupting to give his or her own ideas in conversation on average. Maybe James 1.19 is correct. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Thirdly, have a habit of radical examination. Ask yourself these questions. Are there things in me that foster or cultivate division or prejudice or a dismissal of others? See, most people never ask themselves that question. And so uh, prejudice continues generation to generation because most people don't take an inventory of what's actually going on in the inside of how they mentally make assumptions or mentally make projections or, or they rationalize things because they never take the time to actually do a healthy examination inside of themselves. That's why the scriptures speak so clearly especially Psalm 139, the end. Search me, O God, know me. Is there any wicked way in me? Bring that to the surface. I want to get that out. I want to be more and more living in the way of Jesus. And so to do radical work of examination of yourself, have a habit of that. To stop and pause. If you get activated in relationship when it comes to conversations on race, Maybe your level of offendability often will reveal your level of maturity. And if you're easily offended, then you better check yourself, friend. Because that might mean something is going on on the inside. Have a habit, fourthly, of regular confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Be quick to say, I'm sorry. One of the greatest lessons my dad showed me was that he was quick to say, I'm sorry. I've hopefully done that to my kids, to own my own stuff, because I want them to be people who own their stuff and don't just brush it under a rug or dismiss other people. That's part of radical examination. I, I want to be healthy. I want to be whole. 
I'm still a work in progress. I love Philippians 1.9 says this, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. When will he complete it? When you get home to heaven. That's when you've stopped being under construction. You are a construction project right now. Do you know that? You are a new creation, yes, but you are under construction all the time that the Spirit of God is at work in you and God is wanting to heal you and challenge you and to reshape you to be more and more like his son, Jesus. And so this side of heaven, we are always under construction. And that's okay if you're willing to lean into it and learn from it. Reconciliation must be a rhythm in our life. Forgiveness flows into us so that forgiveness can flow through us. And if we're the ones that stop it, then the problem's not with God. The problem's right here. And so we have to own that as individuals. C.S. Lewis said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And maybe a memory verse to challenge you with this week if you want to challenge yourself to grow in rhythms of reconciliation, it's just this, Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If you want to open your Bible app and just underline that, I promise you, if you just try to memorize that verse and make it more and more a part of your vernacular and who you are, then you will begin to develop a rhythm of reconciliation with the people around you. And so the question to end with as we move toward worship is how does God want you to take the next step toward reconciliation? Who is God asking you to step toward as a part of that reconciliation journey, uh, to create that rhythm. What um, maybe facet that you heard tonight that you go, that's the habit I need to get better at and work that more and more into my life. And so Father, that's what we pray. Jesus, we, we stand in wonder of the amazing grace and forgiveness that you have given us, that your life, your death, your resurrection proves that God sought us out before we ever sought in his direction. He seeks us to reconcile us to himself. Father, may you build within us a heart that wants to reconcile with the people around us the best we possibly can to do what we can do to trust you with the rest of that. God, we can pray this in individual, we can pray this in, in organizations, we can pray this for countries. Uh, God, I, I think of everything that's going on in Afghanistan right now. God, I, I'm not here to make a political statement. I'm just here to say that the church needs to pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through crazy trauma. A reconciliation needs to occur. It doesn't seem possible. So would your help be there on display? God, I think of the families represented in this room, those watching online, and the reconciliation that needs to happen, maybe with extended family or immediate family. 
God, would you let us be people that step forward into creating that rhythm the best we can? God, I think of work relationships represented here, that there's friction or, or, or fractures that need to be resolved, reconciled the best they can. God, this is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy to do, but we pray that you'd help us to be people who live with a rhythm of reconciliation more and more this year than we did last year and more and more in the year to come than even now. That we might live out the way of Jesus. We are the ones who benefit from the reconciliation he gave. And would you help us to be a conduit of that reconciliation to those around us, we pray.
I do believe when we remember that, we really live that out, uh, that forgiveness will be flowing into us and it'll be that much easier for the forgiveness to flow out of us because the reality is that's how uh, a world that needs to see Jesus is gonna see it in a dramatic way, in a very drastic way. And that's something that's not easy for us to do, but when we as Christians take that upon ourselves to live that out, it's shocking to a world, isn't it? And so we get to be that light. We get to be those ambassadors for Christ. So let that encourage us uh, as we go out throughout our week. What, what was that, Micah? You like my shirt? Thank you. I love your shirt. Well, since you asked, I just wanted to let you know that these shirts are actually available out in the lobby. Uh, so if you wanted to get one of these cool new Element City, shirt t uh, Element City Church t-shirts designed by our ministry assistant, Matthew Warnstead, by the way. Let's give it up for Matt. And fun story, real quick story about Matt. He put in the order, right? He was working back and forth with the, uh, the folks who were making the shirts. And uh, they're like, oh, they'll ship in about four to six weeks. And Matt said, nay, I want it in four to six days. He was real assertive about it. It was crazy. And it happened, actually. I'm just kidding. He didn't really say that. But we did get them in within about a week. And it was like, wow, that's awesome. So uh, they're out in the lobby. Phil's going to be back there. If you want to get a shirt, you can pay online uh, through the church app uh, and show him that you're doing that. And you can get it. If you want to pay cash, you can do that as well. Uh, we just want to thank those of you who give. If you uh, are one who ties regularly to our church, or even if you've just given one gift of $5, it doesn't matter. Uh, that gift has gone to help us uh, accomplish ministry here in the city. And so we want to thank you for that. Most of our folks who do give, they do it uh, online. But if you have something tonight that you want to drop, we've got these boxes that are in the back there and these like steel little things. You can drop them in there. Uh, so yeah, we've got the 10-minute party going on. So if you're new, we want to uh, just say thanks for coming tonight. Maybe it's your birthday too and you're new. I don't know. That's crazy if it is true. Uh, so... If it is your birthday, you should probably go down and get free popcorn. Uh, it's the best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. So I think that would be a worthy investment for you uh, if you're new and if it is your birthday. Or maybe it's you're just new and it's not your birthday. It doesn't matter. So uh, there's totally somebody whose birthday it is, and she's probably freaking out right now. So that's fun for me. So anyway, uh, we're all about discipleship around here. This is kind of the, one of the last things. Uh, and it, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus, someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus, someone who's becoming like Jesus. And we believe the best way that you can do that is to get connected in a small group. So if you're not connected yet, uh, we've got multiple e-groups that you can be a part of. We've got our college group that meets Tuesday nights. We've got a young adult group that's meeting Wednesday nights. We're getting ready to start a, a small group for blended families. Uh, so Kevin, one of our church elders, Kevin Kirchival and his wife Pam, uh, that's on their heart. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to the next steps table out in the lobby. Uh, we've got a sheet with all of the e-groups there uh, as well so that you can do that. So don't forget the volunteer rally is coming up when? Saturday, that's right. So uh, if you're involved, uh, we want to bless you with that. If you're not involved but looking to get involved, you should uh, come so that we can bless you with that as well. Uh, but may you go forth. Let us all just shine the light of Christ as we go out uh, as his ambassadors. Amen? Amen. Have a great week.